Bibles, open to the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4. This morning we're going to be finishing up chapter, chapter 4, looking at verses 35 to verses 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. The tag for today's message is faith in the storm. Faith in the storm. Give you a minute to turn there. We'll read this together. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. The Bible says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, he took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this day, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that you would just give me clarity of speech. I'm going to be concise, Lord. Pray that you would just work in our hearts and minds, Lord, that you would convict us and challenge us, that you would help us, Lord, encourage us through your word this morning, God. Pray that you would give me the unction, Lord. Lord, uh, we look at storms of life, Lord. Uh, just give me a prophetic word, Lord, as I know that everybody's dealing with storms, Lord. That we would just that your word would just be a help to us this morning, God. We love you. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to our passage this morning, we find Jesus once again in a boat with his disciples. Mark tells us in verse 35 that it's the same day, speaking of the same day that Jesus had just given the kingdom parables we looked at the last two weeks. Jesus had been teaching his disciples. He was teaching the crowd some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And as we looked at during his teaching, one of the main points that Jesus was trying to get across through these, these three, these four parables, the parable of the seed, the parable of the light under the basket, the parable of the growing seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. There was kind of all this underlying theme, and that was that it's not enough just to receive God's word, but that you need to apply his word to your life. He tells them through these kingdom parables, essentially, it's not enough just to hear the word of God. Remember, he said, uh, those having ears to hear, but, but rather after they hear it, they need to then take it and put it into action. And as we come to our passage this morning, Jesus is going to give his disciples an opportunity to do just that. He's going to give them a chance to put some feet on their faith. As Jesus finishes teaching on the Sea of Galilee, he looks at his disciples and he says, let us go to the other side. 
All right, so up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he has mainly been in the region of Galilee. He's probably in Capernaum at this time. And we know at the beginning of chapter 5 that he ends up in the city of Gadara, the region of Decapolis. So they're going to do this. They're going to travel kind of from the, the northwestern part of the sea down to the southeastern part of the sea. And as Jesus tells his disciples, let us go to the other side, you know, they, they probably wouldn't have thought much about this. You know, they wouldn't have had any worries or any fears. We know that at least seven of the 12 disciples were fishermen. So they spent their lives on boats. So traveling across the Sea of Galilee was no big deal to them. They were familiar with the sea. They were familiar with long trips over water. And not only that, having followed Jesus for a few years now, the disciples were also used to constantly being on the move. I mean, Jesus went from city to city to house to house. And so when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, they're like, all right, well, let's go. But what we find is that this rather routine, normal day of following Jesus turns into this scene of great chaos and worry and fear as on this trip from Capernaum to Decapolis and to Gadara, they come across a storm in the middle of the sea. And as we study this storm that Jesus and his disciples go through. And I believe that there's a parallel and some things for us to learn this morning about the figurative storms of life. You know, we all go through them. Financial problems, relationship tensions, health crises, shattered dreams, marriage conflicts, soul-crushing losses. You know, those times of life where it feels almost impossible to get your head above water, those times of life when it seems like the, the, the sea is raging, the waves are beating into the ship of your life, and there's no end in sight. You know, in my brief life, I am yet to meet a person who wishes for storms. I have yet to meet a person who, who wants hard times. I've never met somebody who asks for suffering and pain. I've never met somebody who requests trials and temptations, I, who, who longs for hardship, who longs to wade through deep rivers of hurt, who, who wants to deal with the death of loved ones, who wants to deal with the sickness of loved ones, who wants to go through these, these raging storm moments, this pain and this rejection, yet I know that storms are a part of life. You know, it's often said that you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or heading into a storm. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want to help answer the question of what to do when storms arise. They're going to come, so how do we respond? You know, as we look at the Bible and we look at all of Scripture, there's, there's several different reasons why storms come in our life. There are times when storms come just as a natural result of fallen humanity. We live in a sinful and broken world that is full of sinful and broken people who live sinful and broken lives. Loved ones get sick, relationships fail, people cheat, people steal, people lie. There are times when storms come as judgment. You know, sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. Sometimes we suffer because of our own mistakes and our own failures. We, we see this with the life of Jonah. Jonah runs from God and 
As a result, God sends a storm into Jonah's life and in order to get Jonah's attention. And, and sometimes when these storms come in our life as, as a form of judgment, it's, it's not, not necessarily just to punish us, but to grab our attention and draw us back to God. And there's other times when storms come as a test. Times when God will use trials and use hardship to see if our faith is as real as we say it is on Facebook. And I believe that is what we find here this morning. If you look at verse 37 with me, verse 37, the Bible says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Again, here we have the disciples on this boat, Sea of Galilee, with Jesus, when suddenly this storm begins. But but listen, this isn't just any old storm. It's not just like a Sunday afternoon rain shower or a thunderstorm that comes through and keeps going. But this is a severe storm. This is a raging storm. In fact, in the Greek, the word that is translated windstorm is also translated hurricane. I mean, this is intense. This is, this is no joke. You know, the Sea of Galilee is actually quite notorious for its storms. The Sea of Galilee itself sits almost 700 feet below sea level. So, so around the Sea of Galilee, you have this almost subtropical, warmer climate, while on the outside of the sea, the outskirts, uh, not, not too far from the Sea of Galilee, it is surrounded by mountain ranges, The tallest mountain, Mount Hermon, sits at 9,000 feet at its tallest point. So between this mountain range and the Sea of Galilee, you have a 10,000-foot drop in altitude. And what happens is this cold air from the mountain peaks comes down and it rushes through the hills. And when that cold air then hits the sea basin, the temperature drops and the pressure drops. And, well, you get severe storms like the one that we find this morning. You know, when we think about these intense, severe, raging storms of our own life, I believe that often when we are faced with these situations, we tend to respond in, in, in two different ways, mostly. There may be other ways, but I think there's, there's two main ways that we tend to respond to these moments in life. Some respond to these storms they're going through and the trials that they're dealing with by working. In the Old Testament book of Jonah, as I already mentioned, there's almost this parallel account of a storm that is sent by God. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah runs to Tarshish. And so as Jonah's on this ship, on his way to Tarshish, God sends this storm, and the the sea's about to capsize, or the, the boat's about to capsize, and the sea's about to swallow them. And the sailors that are on the boat are freaking out. And Jonah goes to the sailors. He says, throw me overboard, and the storm will stop. But then you go to Jonah chapter 1 and verse 13, and it says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. In the middle of their literal storm, these sailors thought to themselves, if we just work hard enough, Listen, if we just try hard enough, if we put all of our might into this, in other words, if we take things into our own hands, then we can get ourselves out of this situation. But 
What they found, and oftentimes what we find in our own lives in these storms of life, is that it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Listen, it doesn't matter how hard you row against the raging See, There are some things in life that are just out of your control and out of your ability. Sometimes we learn that trying to take things into our own hands is futile and vain. And while some of us have a propensity to work, to take things into our own hands, others of us, probably the majority of us, have a tendency to worry. This is the disciples. As I said already, at least seven of the 12 disciples were fishermen. So we can imagine that as they're traveling on the Sea of Galilee, they're probably in some kind of fishing vessel. Historians tell us that typically the fishing vessels during Jesus' day on the sea would have been made of wood. Uh, They probably would have been about four foot tall, and they, most of them were able to carry a crew of up to 15 people, right? So, 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 So it's not a canoe. It's not like they're out there in a kayak as this hurricane is going around them, but at the same time, it's not the Titanic, right? At the same time, they're not in a boat that is made and ready to endure hurricanes. So as the disciples are out there in this dinghy, can you see them as this storm rises and this storm begins to pound on them as they're caught in the middle of this storm? I mean, I can just imagine the, just think of hurricane, I can imagine the torrential downpour that is coming down on them, that there probably wasn't much of a cover over top that's just soaking them, that's soaking all of their clothes. I can imagine this, this boat as it's being tossed by the wind and it's being tossed by the waves and the bow of this boat just going up and crashing down into the sea. And with each crash, the boat is filling with more water and more water. Can you imagine the fear? That floods them in the middle of the sea. No help in sight. As they teeter between frantically trying to scoop water out of this boat. And at the same time, I'm sure, trying to grab on anything that they can hold so as to not go overboard. And as we look at this passage, what we find is that afraid, worrying, fearful, the disciples go to Jesus in the middle of this storm and with an accusatory tone say to him, do you not care that this storm is about to kill us? Jesus, do you not care that we are about to perish? Listen, as soon as the water started to get a little bit high, as soon as the wind started to blow a little bit hard, they panic, they worry, they fret, and in the middle of the chaos, listen, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of their worries, they allow it to turn into distrust. Surely, they knew Jesus cared. Listen, they had been with Jesus for a few years now. They had seen the compassion of Jesus. They had seen the kindness of Jesus. They saw the goodness of Jesus. They knew Jesus cared, but, but in this moment, listen, as the, as the boat was rocking, they started to doubt his goodness. Listen, as the boat was rocking in the middle of this storm, they began to doubt his care. You know, it's easy to judge the disciples from a distance. We do it all the time. We look at the children of Israel in the Old Testament. How could you be so foolish to continue to turn your back on God after he's been so good to you? We do it with the disciples. You 
are with Jesus himself day in and day out? How do you not recognize who this man is? How do you not uh, have full faith in him? And, and while it's easy to judge from a distance, I believe when we are truly honest with ourselves that oftentimes in the middle of our own storms, we are not so different. We believe in our hearts that God cares about us. Or actually, should I say, sometimes we believe in our head that God cares about us. But when suffering comes, it stretches our ability to be able to see his care. Listen, when suffering comes, we can have that head knowledge, but there's not that connection to our heart that truly reminds us and truly brings us that peace that he does care. When suffering comes, we forget just how good God has been to us. When suffering comes, we forget the promises that he has given to us. When suffering comes, often, sadly, myself included, we begin to call into question the character and the faithfulness of God. You know, when you are facing these storms, when you are facing these challenges of life, when you are in the midst of these hardships, you can either magnify your problems, you can go, woe is me, this problem is so big, or no, I can get over this, uh, my life is so terrible, my situation is so hard, or you can magnify your God. And in the middle of your storm, you can say like Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. But you can't do both. And yet as we look at this passage, Mark tells us that while the disciples are having this meltdown, while the disciples are panicking and worrying about the storm around them, Jesus is in the bottom of the boat, asleep. I love how Mark says, not only is he asleep, but he's sleeping on a pillow. Right? You see this picture of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is tired from a long day of teaching, and he's curled up in the bottom of the boat, find him a pillow, and he is knocked out cold. You know, this is the only recorded instance in all of the Gospels of Jesus sleeping. And while this seems like a minor, insignificant detail, there's, there's actually a lot of theological truth and implications for us as we look at this. Psalms 121 tells us that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Listen, God does not get tired, God does not get restless, but what we find after a day of teaching is that Jesus is weary. Jesus is tired. Listen, Jesus is doing something that only humans must do. And, and what this reason is so important is because it's a reminder to us of the full humanity of Jesus. That Jesus was fully man. Listen, the humanity of Jesus is, is of utmost importance. Because Jesus had to be a man in order to die for the sins of man. Listen, the book of Galatians tells us that the Savior had to be born under the law in order to satisfy the demands of the law. Hebrews tells us that forgiveness of sins comes only through the shedding of blood. Jesus had to be a man in order to buy our redemption. But as we look at this text on an even more practical note, as we bring it to, to this passage here, the humanity of Jesus is important because as a man, as fully human, Jesus is now able to serve as our example. And what we find in the example of Jesus is that there's a better way to respond to storms. 
not work, not worry, but rest. You know, as you read throughout Scripture, you'll find there's this interwoven relationship between faith and rest, faith and sleep. One example is found in Psalms chapter 3. In Psalms chapter 3, David is on the run from Absalom, his son, who is trying to kill him. In verses 1 and 2, David describes how his enemies are pursuing him. He describes how his enemies are taunting him. David is in the middle of a trial. He's in the middle of a storm. His literal life is on the line. But in the midst of it all, David remembers what his God is like. And in verses 3 and 4, David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy David remembers the goodness of God. Listen, David remembers the the protection, the care, and just who God is. He says, you are my shield. You are the one who lifts up my head. Therefore, in verses 5 and 6, David then says, I lay down and slept in the middle of a storm. With his life on the line, his enemies chasing him, David laid down and slept. But then he says, I awoke for the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In the middle of his storm, in the middle of his trial, David did not worry. Listen, David did not freak out. He did not say, woe is me. He, he did not, he did not uh, just throw in the towel. Listen, David did not try and fight. He did not get his friends and get the men that were loyal to him and say, listen, let's fight back. But rather in the middle of his storm, David slept under the protection and the care of God. David slept under the sovereignty of God. Listen, David was able to sleep because David knew that God is totally in control of all things at all times, regardless of what his circumstances say. Simply said, David slept. David was able to rest because David had faith in his God. He knew the Lord would sustain him. And in the same way, I believe Jesus could sleep in the middle of the storm because he knew his Father in heaven would sustain him. Listen, Jesus knew his Father had eyes on him at all times. He knew his Father had a plan and a purpose. He knew his Father would protect him. He knew his Father would care for him. Listen, as we look at this example of both David and Jesus, what what I want to suggest to you this morning is that true rest is not found in the circumstances of the environment around you. Listen, true rest is not dictated by how hard the wind is blowing. True rest is not dictated by how how raging the sea is of your life. But rather, true rest is found in the comforting hands of the one who is watching over you. Listen, what that means is that when you know that you have a loving Father in heaven, when you know you have a Father in heaven protect you, that will care for you, that wants what is best for you, then you can sleep peacefully, whether you're in the middle of a storm, listen, whether you're in the middle of a lion's den, whether you're on the run from your enemies, or you're sleeping in a palace. Jesus is the model of our faith. He is far more than just our model of faith. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and Son of God, is the object of our faith. Look at verse 39. Verse 39 says, Then he arose 
and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and it was a great calm. Jesus, now awakened by the frantic disciples and aware of the storm, leaves the bow of the boat and goes to the deck. And listen, I want you to understand on the deck, Jesus, looking at this storm, does not cry out, God save us. As Jesus stands on the deck of his boat looking at this storm, he doesn't say, Father, would you please cause this storm to stop? But rather with a divine act of power, Jesus shows that the one with power over demons and disease also has power over nature. When with three simple words, Jesus brings the raging sea into submission, peace. Be still. And at the words of its master and creator, like a chastised toddler or a scolded dog, the storm goes and sets in the corner. And if speaking submission to this raging storm was not enough, Mark says not only did the wind obey his very words and cease in that moment, but there was a great calm over the sea. Listen, even after the wind subsides during a storm on the Sea of Galilee, the waves would continue to crash for hours on end. I mean, it's Newton's first law of motion, an object in motion stays in motion, yet we see here that the water was as glass, a great calm, not a wave, not a ripple, and as we look at this, we remember that Jesus is our example of faith because he is fully human, but we also remember that Jesus is the object of our faith because he is fully God. Listen, only God can control the sea. The psalmist knew that in Psalm 89 when he said, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. At the beginning of the 11th century, there was a king named King Canut. He was also known as Canut the Great. He ruled the Northern Sea Empire, which would have consisted of Norway and Denmark and England and kind of just that, that area over there in Europe. It's believed that Canut was the most successful ruler of the, the Anglo-Saxon period. Canut put an end to Viking rule of Britain. He paid off a standing army. I mean, Canut was just, he was amazing. He, was, he did a lot of good things for his people and in return, they loved him. They were endeared to him. It almost got to the point where his people began to worship him. And he is told that one day, Canut commanded the people to lift both him and his throne and to set them at the mouth of the sea. And Canut said, I know you all think I'm great, but I'm about to show you what greatness is. And as Canut sat on his Throne, Canut, with all the rigor in his body, put forth his hands, and he spoke to the rising sea, and he said, you are part of my dominion, and the ground which you sit upon is mine. Nobody has disobeyed my command with impunity. Therefore, I order you, ocean, not to wet the clothes of my body or my throne. But the sea carried on without any concern for his person, 
without any concern for his majesty or without any concern for his supposed power. The sea wet his feet and the sea soaked his throne. And after some time, Canut turns and looks at his people and he says to them, all the inhabitants of the world should know that the power of kings is vain and trivial, but none is worthy of the name king. But he who commands the heavens, the earth, and the sea by his eternal laws. Listen, friend, while Canut the Great was not able to authorize the sea to obey at this moment in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus proved that he alone is the one worthy to be called king. King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, and God the Son. Listen, this is what I want you to hear this morning, the same God who has control over the storms of the seas has control over the storms of your life. Simple. Not that deep. The same God who is able to speak peace to the sea can speak peace to your life. Trust him. Rather than calling into question the faithfulness and character of God because we don't always understand his purpose and his plans, we need to learn to rest like Jesus, in Jesus. But I'm not done yet because while it may seem, and, and you know, I've often heard this passage preach, and even as we look at this, I think sometimes we walk away uh, thinking and believing that the point of this text is that God, that God will calm the storms of my life. And, you know, that, that is true. God can calm the storms of our Life. I don't believe that is the central point of this passage. I want you to see Jesus' response to the disciples after calming the storm. Verse 40. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? After rebuking the storm, Jesus rebukes the disciples. Jesus doesn't applaud the disciples. He doesn't say, well done. You came to me to stop your storm. But rather, he says, you were faithless in the middle of the storm. You know, at first thought, it seems almost unfair and harsh. The boat's about to capsize. There's a hurricane that's swirling around this little fishing vessel. They're in the middle of the sea. The storm shows no signs of slowing. I mean, the disciples are genuinely afraid for their lives, and yet Jesus says, your faith is not only small but non-existent. The disciples distrusted the character of Jesus. We spoke about that a little bit already. You know, I can imagine part of the disciples' frustration Part of their fear as they panicked and questioned Jesus and began to distrust distrust his character is that they were put into this situation because they willingly followed him. I can imagine that as they're in the middle of this storm and they're thinking they're about to die, they're thinking in their head, if I would have just stayed home. Listen, if I would have just told Jesus, I, I, Jesus, you know, I love you, but I can't leave my family. They would have just said, Jesus, you know, I, I, I can't travel around the, around the region with you. I have too many responsibilities back home that I never would have been in the middle of this storm. And when they begin to think about all that they've sacrificed and all that they've lost in their pursuit of Christ, 
when the storm begins to rage around them, their flesh tells them, he doesn't really care. You, you did all this, you sacrificed all that, he does, he's going to let you die. He does not really care. Lord, do you not care that we are about to drown? Lord, do you not care that we left our businesses behind? Lord, do you not care that we left our families? Lord, do you not care that we left everything behind and now we are about to die? As I read this passage this week, and I saw Jesus' response to their fears, I recognize this rebuke is for me just as much as it was for the disciples. Listen, crying out to God in the middle of the storm is not the problem. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. God wants us to go to him. He wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to lean on him and to trust in him. But the true problem here in this passage, the act of faithlessness that they are rebuked for by Jesus is doubting the goodness of God in the middle of the storm. God, do you not care? But I believe there's another act of faithfulness that's go- or of faithlessness that's going on here. They distrusted the character of Jesus, but they also distrusted the plans of Jesus. As God, Jesus is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We see that as he calms the raging sea, but he's also omniscient. That means that he knows every and all things. What that means is that nothing comes as a surprise and nothing comes as a shock to Jesus. Listen, this storm on the sea was not a random coincidence. This storm on the sea was not just a natural act of nature, but rather it was a divine appointment that was established and that was brought and purposed by Jesus. The storm was sent not to prove the authority of Jesus, but rather I believe this storm was sent to test the faith of the disciples. I'm trying to help you understand this morning is that God not only allows storms into our lives, but often he will deliberately lead us into a storm because a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. I don't believe this is a story about crying out to Jesus to stop our storms, to bring an end to our hardships and suffering. Listen, Peter tells us you cannot follow Christ and not suffer. Listen, we read the passage this morning in John 16 where Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So I don't think that Christ is saying, listen, cry out to me. I'm going to stop every suffering and every heartache that you go through. But rather, I believe this passage is about us learning to trust Jesus in the middle of our storms. Because it's during our storms that he strengthens us. Listen, it's, it's during our storms that, that God is able to prune us and mold us into that image and likeness of Christ. It's during our storms that we are brought into intimacy with God as we lean on him and we depend on him. Listen, it is during our storms, it's during those lowest moments of life when God is able to do his greatest work in our lives. So what... Should have been the right response. You know, I, I don't know 100%, but, but I think that there's something powerful in the middle of hardship and trials to be able to say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Lord, I don't know why you've allowed this. I don't know why you are continuing to take me through these tests and allowing this hardship and this heartache around me. I really don't, God. 
but I trust you. I trust you anyways. The disciples distrusted his character. The disciples distrusted his plans. And lastly and quickly, they distrusted his word. (laughs) What did Jesus tell them in verse 35? Let us cross over to the other side. (laughs) Listen, Jesus already told them what was going to happen. Jesus said, you get on the boat with me, we're going to the other side. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say it was going to be smooth sailing. He didn't say there wasn't going to be no bumps in the road or that storms would not come. But Jesus said, as long as you stay with me, listen, as long as you have me in the boat, then I'm going to get you to the other side. And I just want to say to us this morning that while the waves are tossing and the wind is howling, some of us need to remember to trust the words of God. Listen, some of us need to remember this week that if you are in Christ, you have a God who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, you have a God that promises to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You have a God that promises to give you hope, to give you peace, to give you joy. Listen, you have a God that promises to comfort the afflicted, a God that promises to be near the brokenhearted. Trust his word. Verse 41 And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? You can trust his character. You can trust his plan. You can trust his words because he alone is the one that even the winds and the waves obey. And he's the God, son of God, and God, the son. Listen, the next time you find yourself wondering, God, do you really care? I just want you to remember that he cared enough to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth. Listen, he cared enough to live a life that we could never live. He cared enough to be led to a cross, a perfect sinless sacrifice. He cared enough to die a death for us that we deserved. Listen, he cared enough to stand in our place and on the cross to bear the wrath of God for the sins of all humanity so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. So we could be forgiven, so we could be reunited with the Father, so we could be given a heaven, a home in heaven. So what do you do when storms arise? I believe that when we look at this passage, we are called to have Faith, like Jesus, that God will sustain us. And have faith in Jesus, knowing that he is in control. 